welcome to Behavior Grooves, the podcast that brings behavioral science to life. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We talk to smart, interesting people in order to bring you insights on how behavioral science can improve your life. But before we get into that in this episode, we want to let you know about a special project that Kurt has been working on called BrainShift. Thanks, Tim. So BrainShift is a new guided journal that my team and I have been working on for over a year. So if you want to really improve your life, this journal can help. We built this journal using behavioral science insights, many of which we learned from the guests on this very show. And those insights helped us create a daily process over 13 weeks that can help you achieve both your keystone goals and your weekly and daily goals as well. Sounds wonderful. We think it is. Lots of hard work, lots of research and development went into this. And I need to thank my team, Ben Grandlin and Alex Bellinger, who have done a tremendous job on this. It definitely wasn't me. It was my team. (laughs) (laughs) They are a great team, and the work that you guys have done is just fantastic. And this is a very practical, very no-nonsense tool. It's kind of got like a magic productivity booster. By (laughs) spending a few minutes, right, in the journal, your ability to focus on what matters most really makes your time more effective in achieving your daily goals. But, Kurt, I have a question for you. Okay. Did this project ever scare you? (laughs) Okay, so it didn't scare me in a physical sense. I mean, it's a pretty small journal, and at worst, I I might get a paper cut. But but in the sense that this was a brand new arena for us, going out to consumers, that we had to figure out how to sell on Amazon and get this printed with quality. Oh, my God, that was scary as hell when we got some of the proofs back from that. That was crazy. (laughs) And the time that we took to, to build this, and still had to do all the client work. Hell hell yeah, that scared me. Yeah, well, according to our guest today, that was a good thing. All those scares, they were good. Okay. So Scott Simon is a happiness entrepreneur and founder of the global Scare Your Soul Courage movement. And his book is Scare Your Soul, Seven Powerful Principles to Harness Fear and Live Your Most Courageous Life. And his premise is that too often we spend our lives trying to avoid things that scare us. He argues that instead of going out of your way to avoid fear and all the feelings that come with it, we need to just face it head on, harness that fear. And is that old saying, scare yourself at least once a day, that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. And Scott talks about his life story and how taking on this mindset really changed his life as well as many others. And he's kind of an expert in this. That he is. And and so with that, please sit back with a drink that will scare you to your soul and enjoy our conversation with Scott Simon. Scott Simon, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. We are glad to have you here. And let's just get started with the first speed round question. Okay, most importantly, coffee or tea? Coffee. Ooh, you had a little thought there. I saw that there. Uh, no, no, no. Well, I, 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 I used to live in, in Israel, and every morning my roommate and I would make Earl Grey tea. And sitting in Jerusalem drinking an Earl Grey tea is an amazing memory. And so I, if there was any hesitation, it's that I do have a wonderful memory around it, but coffee all the way. Okay. All right. Excellent. Would you prefer to go on a vacation with a fixed itinerary or no itinerary at all? Again, super easy. No itinerary at all. 
<laughs> so yeah, it kind of goes with the theme yeah. of what we're going to be talking about here today, Didn't, right? Yeah, there yeah. we go. That answer didn't blow my mind because that's totally <laughs> consistent with who you are. Okay. All righty. Uh, okay. So would you rather spend New Year's Eve in New York at the drop of the, the ball at Times Square or sitting in a room quietly meditating for three and a half hours? <laughs> that is a very knowing question on your behalf. So um, uh, I can easily say it would be uh, sitting in, in deep meditation for three and a half hours, reliving my entire life and getting a perspective on life that uh, that I could have never had otherwise. Mm. Cool. cool. We, we might examine that in, in, in a we little might. bit, but we have one last final speed Happy round. To. We have one last final speed round question. Do you think we should scare ourselves a little bit every day? I think it's essential to scare yourself every day. I, cool. I, I even wrote a book about that. It is something that has uh, changed my life, and I, I think it's magic in a bottle. I, I think it is something, if people, if people really understand what that means and, and, and how actionable it is, then I think it's, it's, it's truly life-changing. I'm, I'm really passionate about it. Well, let's talk about that. What do you mean by scaring yourself every day? Sure. So I'll just take you back just a little bit. I, I was many years ago, leaving to go overseas uh, after spending a childhood very much in fear. I was bullied for most of my early childhood and was coupled with that very shy. So I led a life really where I wanted to be invisible. I really wanted to just run, hide, stay safe. And for years, spent my life um, in that box. I graduated from college and had the opportunity to fly overseas to teach uh, elderly Holocaust survivors. This is where I drank my Earl tea yeah. every morning. And, <laughs> and so I tentatively got on uh, a flight uh, from JFK to Tel Aviv and had a panic attack within a few minutes of the doors closing. I, I couldn't believe that a, a shy, unworthy child like me was, was going to be doing this. And... I really had almost a moment of, of losing control. I had a small spiral notebook in my backpack, which I pulled out and I wrote down with no thought of where this was coming from or, or why it was coming to me. I wrote down, do one thing every day that scares you. That's what I wrote on that piece of paper. It almost tumbled off of my pen onto the page. And I thought about it. Where did this come from and what is this saying to me? And the answer was, for the next year that I was abroad, to do one thing every day that pushed my comfort zone. To me, doing one thing every day that scares you was do one thing that everything in your being is telling you, don't do that. <laughs> don't say hello to that person. Don't say yes to this opportunity. Don't uh, try to learn something new. All the things that I had spent my entire childhood running from, I was now going to be running toward. And to me, when I, and now the organization that I started, Scare Your Soul, is it, its main mantra is that very phrase, do one thing every day that scares you. So to me, it's all about tackling fears, pushing comfort zones, um, and do it consistently. Okay, so we're, we are talking about Scare Your Soul, seven powerful principles to harness fear and lead your most courageous life. And I'm glad that you teed this up. You didn't just write a book, you're starting a movement. So this whole idea of uh, honestly, the, the book is filled with doing. You are a you're a doer. You are yeah. a if I could just say it very plainly, you do shit. You you just get shit done. And I think that that's that's pretty amazing. But you wouldn't characterize your entire life that way. Was 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 this moment on the plane? You know, this panic attack that transformational for you? 
it was a huge tipping point for me. And, you know, I think all of your listeners could probably think of a time in their lives where they were on one trajectory and just didn't know anything else. They just were in their, I, you know, I use the phrase comfort zone all the time, but sometimes we, we lead life thinking that it just has to be this way, right? Some, it just can't change. And, you know, the reality for me in that moment was this huge realization that I could lead my life differently. I didn't have to be that guy anymore. And so, yes, I, I and certainly I've had um, uh, experiences in my life afterwards that have informed um, my views on courage. I, I still consider myself a, a person who grapples with fear every single day. I'm not a, a guru that uh, has transcended fear. In fact, I really, um, I, I take umbrage in, uh, at the at even the suggestion that we should be fearless, that we can be fearless, that we should crush fear, that we should destroy fear. All you know, if you if you Google, you know, be fearless or how do I crush fear, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not hundreds of millions of websites that give you this this concept. I don't want people to be fearless. I want people to have fear and to move forward anyway. Because that's, to me, where the richest, most beautiful part of life is, when, when we're able to sit with fear and push through it. So, yes, that epiphany kind of gave me, the, the it almost opened up, it, the sunlight hit the road. And I, I thought to myself, you know what, I can walk down this road. And, and I did. And for that year, every single day, I did something that scared me. I wrote about it in this little spiral notebook that got filled up completely. I still have spiral notebooks with things that I do consistently. And, and, and to me that just like people have practices that they're committed to a journaling practice or a gratitude practice or a, a diet practice or an, an exercise practice, this is my practice. Yeah. And, and it opens me up to such beautiful things, but, but I feel fear every single day. So Scott, you, in the book, you actually tell a really nice story of, of applying this right after the plane ride. You, you land, um, you're in the airport and you talk about it. And I think it's really a good story because what it goes to saying is that scaring yourself isn't jumping out of a plane every day. It, it is these smaller kind of things. Can you tell the story of exactly what happened like immediately upon landing? Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. So I had had this, this epiphany on the plane. And, and so I landed. And if you can picture getting out of a, an airplane after an 11 hour flight, and you're rumpled, and you're, you, you, you're shuffled into a, a very, very hot room, it was in Tel Aviv and, and hearing strains of Arabic and Hebrew, things that I, I couldn't understand at the time. And I was, I was waiting for my suitcase and I felt someone kind of push into me, the, into my backpack. And I, I turned around and it was an older gentleman in a, a button down shirt and, and khakis who had, you know, it, it, trying to get towards the, the bags had, had kind of bumped into my backpack. And before that flight, my initial reaction would have been to avoid any eye contact because that might lead to a conversation. And God knows what could have happened if I ended up in a conversation with somebody. Oh, no. Could be could be death. Uh, uh, and but I had had that experience on the plane, and my immediate reaction was to say hello. We began talking, and he asked why I was in the country, and I told him, and I asked him what he was doing there. He he was a resident of Tel Aviv. He was an architect, and and we began to talk. And over the five or six minutes that we were together, we connected. 
very simply, nothing crazy. And, and I was doing it. I could feel it in the moment. I was actually having this conversation with someone that I didn't know in a country that I had never you know, been to in my entire life. And he, he pointed to his bag. I was in front of him. He pointed to his bag. It had this, um, I remember sincerely, it had a, a pocket square, this beautiful pocket square <laughs> wrapped around the handle. So I went and I got him his bag. And as I was turning around to give him his bag, his suitcase, he was writing something on the back of his airplane ticket. And it was his phone number and his address. And he said, I want you to come visit me while you're in Tel Aviv. And I thought to myself that that was the first friend that I had made in years. Yeah. It, it's interesting because it's those little steps. And we've talked to many people on the show about like, we're often scared to talk to strangers on the plane or in a train as we're commuting to work. And yet those are the moments that actually we fear that they're going to be negative, but in the end, they actually and they create this life that is much richer and more joyful than we would ever anticipate. And that really is the epitome of the work of Scare Your Soul, the magic of Scare Your Soul, why our ambassadors love it so much, why our participants love it so much is that it isn't about flinging yourself out of an airplane. And, and I have done that. I, I, I have a fear of heights and I did fling myself out of an airplane. But I will tell you this. I truly believe that it is more effective to get on a, a ladder, if you have a fear of heights, and get on a ladder and clean out your gutters of your house, if you have a house, for four days straight than it is to fling yourself out of an airplane. And I'll tell you why. It is, to me, the consistent action of pushing comfort zones that allows us to rewrite, you know, the, I'm sure you've had guests that talk about neuroplasticity and, yep. and our ability to rewrite associations, past associations from negative ones into positive ones. And I did fling myself out at 14,000 feet and it was a wild and wonderful experience, but I landed and it was over and I moved on with my life and I still had this fear of heights. But getting on a ladder consistently teaches you, I can get up on a ladder consistently and I can do this. So to me, it is this very simple, um, you know, and we're all different, by the way. Um, you know, for me, having a conversation with someone I didn't know was was pushing a, a boundary. For other people, you know, it has to do with relationships or having tough conversations. With others, it's about um, pushing themselves uh, out of their comfort zone in terms of their 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 physical environment. Maybe it's starting a new physical practice or, or going on an adventure somewhere where they don't have an itinerary. Um, for some people, it's work-related, something in their career where they have ideas and they want to share them, but they're afraid that people are going to laugh at them or, or, or their, boss isn't, their boss isn't going to look at it in the right way. So we all have our own ways to push our comfort zone, but it is these little small actions that in the end of the day, I believe, uh, push the needle. You know, we uh, Nir Ayal has been a guest on our, our program, and he talks about that procrastination is not so much about avoiding, it's about our feelings. And I, and I, I think that, like, you're getting to this, right? You're, you're after that in a big way. He is so clear and so brilliant in describing the fact that procrastination really isn't about the fear of the action or the implication. It's the fear of the discomfort that we have to experience as we're contemplating doing it. And this is, I'm so glad that you brought that up because in the work that we do in Scare Your Soul, we, we view things oftentimes as Alex Korb and, and others talk about the downward spiral versus an upward spiral. Mm -hmm. That when we don't take action, when we procrastinate, when we avoid, when we kick things under the rug, 
we are contributing to a downward spiral. We are contributing towards a feeling of apathy, of stuckness, and then as you continue down the downward spiral to anxiety and depression. Conversely, when we take action, and I'm not saying, by the way, all the time that it works out. People have had <laughs> tough conversations that have led to, to outcomes that they weren't expecting. And yeah. some people have, have you know, we have, uh, we have a fit, kind of a famous challenge um, in Scare Your Soul, which is buy a cup of coffee for a stranger and have a conversation with them until the coffee is delivered. Super simple. I would say, if I had to guess, 95% of those have worked out insanely well. I have done it myself maybe <laughs> dozens of times by now. And I don't think I've had one interaction that wasn't revelatory. But there have been instances where it didn't go well. So this is life, right? Like we, we it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be fear around pushing comfort zones if we knew what the outcome was going to be. Yeah, right. But right. what Nir talks about is, can we abide the emotion? Can we abide the feeling of gosh, that feels uncomfortable. And if I just avoid it, maybe it'll go away. And the reality is it never goes away. It never goes away. It never goes away because you're going to be confronted with the same situation, probably with the same person, whether it's a boss or a significant other, or even with yourself. And you're, so you're going to feel it again. So my view is let's do this thing. You know, Mel Robbins talks about the five second rule of, you know, can you get over five seconds of uncomfortability? We have a challenge uh, once a year where we have a photo, a body positivity photo shoot. It's very private and people are, you know, meet with a photographer and the photographer, you know, takes, takes photos of them and, and it supports our body positivity challenge. It is incredibly hard to, to, to get in front of a photographer and I've done it many times now and to take your shirt off and you're there and it, it's a cold room and you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> I just want to flee from this. But I have to tell you, after, you know, whether it's five seconds or 15 seconds or 30 seconds, it becomes this joyous experience because you're, you're living life fully. You're, 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 all of a sudden, the things that have stopped you before are not stopping you again. And there's such beauty in that moment. And I just, I'm an, I'm an addict to the feeling that you get when you push a comfort zone and you feel free and joyful and powerful afterwards. And then by the way, that thing that you overcame, it's now in the past. Yeah. You've done it. You've done it. Yeah. And you could do it again. I love that. I, I want to go back to the the component that you talked about, about, all right, overcoming that fear of heights isn't about getting into a plane because I can do that once. And yeah, I've done it great, but I still have that fear of heights. It's getting on that ladder every day. And you talked about this before we got on the air that this practice is ritualistic, that you can create this element of it over time. So if you were to talk to our listeners and say, what what is the one thing that is important for them to kind of embrace this this kind of process? What, what, what do they need to do in order to, to, to really make this happen? Sure. So I, as simple as this sounds, I think it starts with intention. Okay. It starts with intention. I oftentimes, if people ask me, you know, how, how do I, how do I make this a part of my life? I say every morning when you're brushing your teeth, I want you to have on your mirror, a post-it note that says, do one thing today that scares you. I will tell you one of our ambassadors has a, ha, one of our first ambassadors tattoo, actually tattooed scare your soul on, on, you know, on the side of her chest to remind herself every morning that she was going to push. So I think it begins with intention because for anybody that knows for example, I'll, I'll create a corollary for you that I think is really powerful. I'm sure many of your listeners have had a gratitude practice mm -hmm. in their 
life, whether whether it exists now or they've done it in the past, someone has given them a gratitude journal or they've bought one. Gratitude is so powerful, not just because you experience gratitude at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day when you write in your journal. It is the fact, for those of us who, I have a gratitude practice with somebody where we share five gratitude, uh, uh, five gratitude by text every night. We've done it for seven years. It is the fact that you spend your day looking for the things you're going to say in that text. So the text is important, but what's so much more important is how are you spending your day looking for those things? So my view is when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, say to yourself, do one thing today that scares, that scares me, okay? And if we can commit to that, then you're spending your day, you're on the subway and there's an interaction that requires you to, to, to connect with somebody. You're at work and you have an idea and you, uh, you're wondering whether you should raise it in a meeting. Um, there's someone who you find enthralling but yet intimidating and you don't know whether you should send them an email and ask them out for a cup of coffee. If you have this intention in your mind, the chance that you might actually say yes is so much greater. So really all it takes is a post-it note. Oh, okay. So... In those, I want to go back to the buying coffee. 95% of the time you buy coffee for a stranger, it's fantastic. What about the 5% of the time? Like we are hardwired to avoid failure. We don't like failing. We don't like the image of it. We don't like the feeling of it. What happens when you run into that 5% of the time? It's like, oh man, this dude is just not getting it today. Um, So to me, and granted, uh, it takes a while to come around to this. Uh, Failure is a badge of honor Mm. in my view. There's a uh, there's a chapter in the book called Screwing Up is Sexy. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, and that. that was my way of saying if you don't fail, then you're not you're you're not out there. You're 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 not you're not playing you're not playing on the field because not everything is going to go. And we can talk if you'd like about the difference between perceived outcomes versus actually achieving. You know, in my mind. The, the success is the action. It isn't the outcome of the action. You know, whether you want to look at it, you know, in a, in, a, in a Buddhist kind of way where this is about um, leading a life where we strive to remove attachment. So when, when we do something, we are, we're raised that A equals B. I'm going to do A because I want B as the result. My view is A is the entire game. Taking mm. the action is what it's about. And my view is that nine times out of 10, the outcome will be something that will open you up to connection, to love, to a new idea, a new friendship. Just go back to my story about Itzcock in the, in the airport. It was meeting eye to eye, seeing somebody for who they are, opening yourself up to a vulnerable conversation that led to a friendship. And if I had chosen not to have that interaction, you know, I would have been fine. I would have gone on with my day but I never would have met a friend. Yeah. I never would have been exposed to the ideas of, that he has and, and the impact that he had on my life. And so to me, it is the full em- embracing that failure will occur, that it is bound to occur, that it should occur. Um, all the work that I've done in positive psychology teaches us that as human beings, we have this fallacy that we think we know that we can it's almost like a crystal, no one I think has ever used this term as, as I know it, but it's almost like a crystal ball mentality that if we do X, Y, and Z over the next period of time, the end result will be Y. And the truth is there are so many variables and so many unexpected curveballs that life throws us that we actually don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. I really do. I think it's a good thing because how many parts of our lives do we look at and say, I didn't plan that, but I'm so <laughs> damn happy that that's what my life looks like now. 
I met this person. Um, I'm doing the, this is my career. We didn't plan those things. They happened, but you, they won't happen unless we push into areas where we're uncomfortable. Yeah, Scott, you, so what you're saying sounds a lot like we've talked with Annie Duke multiple times um, on the show, and Annie is, you know, is a decision maker, um, a decision scientist. She studies decisions, and part of that is she goes, you know, we often rate how good a decision is by its outcome, and she said that's not how you rate if you made a good decision or not, because as you talked about, there's, you know, A plus B plus C doesn't always equal Y because there's a whole bunch of other letters that get in in the way. And some of that's luck, some of it's environment, some of it's all this other factors that come into play. But did you set up that decision with the right intention? And I love this idea that that it's A is is really the end game. It's about making that choice. It's about doing the action. And I'm wondering uh, when we think about that, um, where do you think that we tend to fail when, uh, again, as you talked about this idea that we always think that there's it, we know that's not the case, but why do we keep thinking that? Why, why do we keep thinking that we can you know, have 100% surety of the outcome? We could have an entire podcast on the answer to that question. <laughs> let's go. Let's uh, go. Okay, let's do it. Um, part two. Um, right. Uh, First of all, we are we are so conditioned to not look at life that way, and and so we're we're battling the ways that we've been raised. We're battling the way that society tells us we should be successful, um, and 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 so you're you're inherently pushing a rock up the hill based on how we are we're raised to look at decisions and the impact of those decisions. But there's something I think deeper and more interesting than that, and that is. When we do something and, it, and the outcome is not what we're expecting, there's this initial thought that we have, unless it's a practice, that it's not working. Yeah. Let's, right? So we've experienced right. discomfort, we did something, and then all it gave us was more discomfort, right? Like the outcome gave us more discomfort. So that to me actually is such a critical moment because that's, if you think about it like a, a, a triathlete, someone who, or someone who wants to run their first marathon, okay? And they start to begin a, a running practice and it's hard. Yeah. And some days they go out, you know, maybe one day they, they run five miles and then their next run, they can't hit four. You know, they're just exhausted, their, their knee hurts. And that's a really critical point right there because are they gonna then, can, you know, go out the next day? You know, it was a hard day. It wasn't the outcome they wanted. The key in my mind is what can keep you motivated to continue the practice? even though we felt more discomfort than we thought we were and it didn't turn out the way that we thought that, that it was. That, and I, I hate to keep on going back to Scare Your Soul, but I think, again, this is why the work in Scare Your Soul is so powerful, is that when you have a partner, whether that person is an accountability partner or it is a community that supports you in, in your effort, I mean, imagine those people who are solo runners versus having a running partner. Mm. It's somebody who can say to you, I got your back. I'm with you step for step. Um, I'm not going to let you fail. We're going to we're going to cross the finish line together. You know, there's something that is so and and there's so many psychologists and positive psychologists that talk about the benefit of having accountability um, systems around you that I think it is very hard to continue on when we when, quote unquote, we fail or there isn't the outcome we want. The point is, just like a running practice, the key is to strap on those shoes, lace up and get back out because that's what's going to create the shift in the end. So I think many people think that they need to do this work alone. 
that there aren't people around them that can help them. I've created wonderful, one of our latest kind of innovations in Scare Your Soul is I've run WhatsApp groups for groups of 12, where each day, each person sends a WhatsApp message about one thing they did courageously that day. And it starts off like, I did this and I did that and it was great, it was terrific. And after five or six days, you start to see people shift and say, I did this and it didn't work out, but I'm really proud of myself. Yeah. That's what happens in this practice. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm evangelical about it because it, it, just like people who are evangelical about running and what happens when you, when you become a marathon runner and you, and you do it and it changes your life for the better and you have so much more meaning and friendships and things like that. To me, a courage practice is, is exactly the same. I'd like to go back to the meditation thing that we talked, that we, we brought up the New York, excuse me, uh, yeah, being in the ball, being under the ball in New York City, New Year's Eve versus the, the meditation. What, what do you think uh, people don't really understand about the value of meditation? What, what potential misconceptions are out there about meditation? I think meditate, it's so funny, you know, meditation, if you think about it, is one of the easiest practices you can imagine. You're, you're sitting. You are literally sitting, okay? Like, that's what you're doing. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't think I've ever had it explained to me quite that way, but you you pretty much yeah. summed it up right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and what's so fascinating about meditation, and I have led, I've led meditations for years, and, and I have incredible meditation teachers, people who have, who have guided me in a meditation practice. And it is actually one of the things I think that slips off the table the soonest. As you know, if you if you rank it versus people who just decide to start a yoga practice or a CrossFit practice or a running practice, and then you say to them, "I want you also to start a meditation practice," it's the meditation that falls off first, right? Which is so fascinating to me. And I think part of it is um, a: it's a long-term proposition, not a short-term proposition, right? Like, yes, you'll feel uh, relaxed uh, uh, potentially and you, you'll feel good, but are you seeing dramatic gains that you can quantify? And the answer in many cases is no. Um, so we're attuned to building muscle, we're attuned to shedding fat, we're attuned to seeing a tangible result. There is no scale that you step on with a meditation practice. It's you, it's only you. And your mind is shifting back and forth, and some days are better, and some days are, as we all know, for those of us who have meditation practices, you can have a day that's the best meditation practice, and the next day your mind will not stop jumping back and forth. <laughs> so I think that that's a really, um, you know, it's a real challenge for people to get over the sense of, am, is this actually working, and is this worth all of this effort that I'm that I'm putting in? Again, I think it is all about consistency, that just like brushing your teeth, if you're the first you know, 20 minutes of your day is a meditation practice and you do it consistently, then it'll start to feel really odd that you jumped out of bed and, and hopped in the shower or checked your email or got on with your day. And I really think that a meditation practice is a beautiful foundation for a courage practice. And mm. I'll tell you why. Meditation, you know, for those of us who, who practice types of meditation where breath is involved, there are so many wonderful opportunities in the moments where we're about to do something that takes courage, that if we can slow down and breathe, we can get through the, the, you know, the action. Um, I'm sure you've had guests that talk about the fear response. When our amygdala is activated, something is tweaking us and we feel fear in the moment, whether it's because of a past trauma or something is indeed, we, we actually feel fear in the moment because of a, a 
a stimulus, that to be able to slow down in that moment, maybe focus on your breath and say, is this something that is actually unsafe for me? Or is this something that is triggering a story, a past trauma, um, a habit that I avoid certain things? Um, I, I have a lot of coaching clients that do this in relationships where they're very courageous in their work life, and then they come home and they will never have the tough conversation with their significant other that they need to have. It's like yeah. they can't it, they can't translate that level. So in that moment, if you have a meditation practice or a breath practice to be able to slow down, I have I have a, a practice in the book called Ladder. It, yep. It's a bunch of different steps where really so much of it is about slowing down and understanding that in the moment if you can understand it in the moment. And then being able to either take action or not take action. I, I never would want anyone to think that fear is something always to, uh, to, to not pay attention to or to counter. Fear is there to keep us safe. It is critical. Uh, and you know, you can read all the literature about, uh, there's this, there's, a, there's great literature around a woman. They call her SM in the, in the literature. This is someone who's, uh, through, I believe it was a disease. Her amygdala became deactivated. And so she has no level of fear in her life. And I wouldn't want to lead the life that she leads. She literally <laughs> has no, she doesn't know one interaction from the next, whether something is, is unsafe. And she even can't read the fear in other people's eyes, which is fascinating. Not only can she not see fear, but she cannot perceive it in others. She can perceive happiness and she can see, perceive, um, you know, anger, but she can't perceive fear like the rest of us do. So I wouldn't want to lead that life. And, and when I have to have a tough conversation or I need to buy a cup of coffee for a stranger, or I need to do any of the things that I suggest that other people do in the book has dozens and dozens of, of prompts and, and suggestions. Slowing down and focusing on your breath to me is a critical piece to determining whether one should, should push forward or not. Yeah. Scott, are you familiar with uh, Philip Zimbardo's The Heroic Imagination Project by chance? Do you know anything about that? It, just real quick. So Philip Zimbardo did the Stanford prison study back in the, the early 70s. Subsequent research and different pieces as he's, he was looking at the evil, the banality of evil and how that kind of came up. And he said, well, let's look at the corollary and this idea of, of you know, heroes. And he said, he, he, we often think of heroes, we put them on this pedestal. And he said, no, really, it's everyday heroes that we have. And it reminds me a lot of what you're talking about with this courage practice, because he's saying we, we can if we just get people to be thinking about, you know, the the simple steps of, of speaking up in an, in an uncomfortable situation when they, they see something is wrong of, you know, taking that step to help somebody across the street, being those everyday heroes uh, of this. And it just it, it really touched on this component where I see there's a lot of elements in this. From that courage piece, do you see people becoming more heroic in, in kind of the everyday kind of heroism as opposed to, you know, jumping into a fire to save a, a baby, you know? But no, it's like they see something wrong at work and where they might have been scared before. Now it's like, I, all right, I can I can say something. There is 100 percent a shift in self-perception when you take on a courage practice, just like there is a 100% <laughs> uh, improvement when you take on a gratitude practice and you do it consistently and you do it um, meaningfully, that you, you will feel more grateful in your life and you will reap the benefits of that gratitude. So the answer is absolutely yes. And I, I hear it all the time from our ambassadors or I get emails from people and I, I it, it is stunning to me that the vast majority of those emails that I receive 
are saying, I did this little thing and it just, it, I feel so proud of it. And, and so that's why I, I really want to reiterate that our work is not about those huge shifts of quitting your job and, and, you know, moving to, to Bali. If that's what you need to do, then that's what you need yeah, to do. Right. But right. to me, the real magic is when we can work that muscle, that courage muscle every single day. So when the time hits for you to stand up for that person in that work setting, we've all seen it. Somebody who is speaking up on behalf of themselves or a cause and they get, and they get beaten down by somebody else. A boss maybe dresses them down in, in front of everybody. I've seen this in, in my own work life. You have a choice to make. Mm -hmm. Are you going to stand in the breach and speak truth to power or are you going to shrink back? And that's not about leaping out of an airplane. That is about what are you going to do in that moment? And if you have had a courage practice where you consistently, every single day, you're doing something that is pushing your comfort zones, the chances that you're going to stand up in that moment are so far greater. And I talk, uh, there, I tell many stories in the book about things that have happened to me and happened to others where they would have never been prepared before, but because their self-perception has changed and now they view themselves as a courageous person, then all of a sudden it makes total sense for them to stand up for somebody else in that moment. And it's not easy. It's never easy but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I, I love the idea that you're you're talking about that's the self-identity that somebody now takes on, right? It was, it, you talk about this, like you talk about your childhood as being a part and you had a different identity as a child as what you have kind of developed further on. And I think that is so powerful when we think about what that means for what, how our life goes on and, 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 and live. Uh, I, I just find that fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. It, it, it's also um, interesting. I'm going to segue over to music. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> Let's just, I'm, I'm not going to. Yeah. And that is not um, a surprise That's, at all, Tim. And it's part of yeah. your self-identity. There That's we go. It is part yeah. of my self-identity. Uh, but Scott, you were pretty clear about um, in writing and, and getting prepared for the book that you had a Spotify playlist going. Were you, were you actually listening to music while you while you wrote? Was that part of your process? It was, it was for the prep. So I would, I, I wouldn't, I, I needed to write in silence. You know, yeah, when you're right. a first time author, it, you learn, you know, everything is a new lesson. Every, every day is a new lesson. And I opened the book by, by being very explicit that, that a, that a publisher, an editor for a, for a wonderful publishing company sent me an email asking me if I'd like to write a book. And I deleted the email because yeah. I thought it was spam. <laughs> I, I, so right. I, I'm not I'm not one of those wonderful, terrific people who have spent years creating proposals and and hiring agents. And for me, the whole process worked in reverse. So I I, I kind of re had to reverse engineer how to write because I had this wonderful opportunity to put the work of Scare Your Soul on the written page. I did find out that for me, music prepared me uh, for writing. I did have a, a playlist that got me kind of in the zone. And then I needed sincere quiet, which was not always easy to find. <laughs> uh, I did a lot of writing yeah. <laughs> from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. And, oh, um, yeah. you know, and I had a wonderful uh, a dear friends allowed me to spend some time in Sun Valley, Idaho, where I was able to spend a lot of time walking and thinking. And that became a, a lot of the foundation for the book is is those daily walks in the mountains, just just literally being in nature. That was a just a wonderful uh, moment. 
Music has always been a part of my life. I talk about it very clearly in the book that in, in almost every part of my life, my grandmother was a, an entertainer, a piano player. She, uh, in every place that she ever lived, including the assisted living um, location where she spent her last years, she would get down at the piano once a week, invite everybody from the assisted living facility down, and she would play piano for the entire community. That's, that's in my blood. And, um, and so music has always played a very important role for me. Um, it, 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 it prepared me, and then I would go into silence and write, and then, and then jam out afterwards. <laughs> and, and you loved music since a kid, and, and you've been playing out in public all that time, right? And and you didn't oh, have yeah, any right. fear about doing... <laughs> Actually, you tell a wonderful story in the book. You, you want to repeat that story just real quickly? Sure, sure. So, uh, and, and I hope that your listeners will identify this in, in some way that they they, they acted a certain way in life and, and enjoyed something in a certain li- way in life. And then all of a sudden it, it shifted and they needed to get it back. So I loved, as I just mentioned, singing and, and being part of a family that loved music. My grandmother would play. My entire family would sing along. It was like the Von Trapp family singers. It was <laughs> ridiculously uh, <laughs> cute. And, and that's how I spent my childhood. And then in, in fourth grade, um, our, our choir had a substitute teacher who, a substitute choir teacher who came in and he really wanted us to blow everybody away during our, our choir concert for our families. And he was teaching us 76 trombones was the keystone of the, what would be the triumph of our choir concert. From, and from the music me, man, from, from the, the, from the, the music man. That's yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And he, um, he got very upset at me because I really, I have terrible pitch. I could not hit the notes that he wanted me to hit. And I was, every time he tried it, I would be adding in my clunker and he got visibly upset. And he actually, he kind of got bright red and he stormed towards me. And he said to me that I was ruining the, the, the practice for every, ruining the experience for everybody else and that I should just mouth the words and not sing. And he said it in front of the entire grade. And I look back on it now and it, 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 yes, it seems kind of funny and humorous. And, but in the moment, it was the most embarrassing, just awful thing that could have happened to a young person in front of their entire grade. And I didn't sing again for 35 years. I, I, I literally, I would be at concerts and my friends would be, you know, yelling along with the music and singing at their full, and I would be mouthing the words in my, up, you know, in my thirties. We're not talking about, you know, <laughs> in my teens. And it was just almost like this, this monkey on my back. So as I was beginning Scare Your Soul, I had already, I had already created the, the, the group and, and there were ambassadors that were starting with us. I decided to meet the demon. I, yep. I decided to really um, tackle this. And my way of doing that was to grab a guitar and to go to a very busy restaurant on a Sunday morning. It was a, it's a, it's a restaurant famous for their brunches. It's called the Inn on Coventry. And there's always a line in front, always, always as they're, as they're, you know, meeting out their tofu scrambles and their Belgian waffles. And I pulled out my acoustic guitar and I sang in front of that line of, of, uh, diners. And it started out very poorly. <laughs> it did not start out well. <laughs> and, uh, as you can imagine, a guy pulling out a guitar, but he thinks this is going to be great. Let's, let's go. And then all of a sudden he sounds terrible and off pitch and, and, but but the key thing was, well, really two things. Number one was uh, about halfway through, everyone came over to my side. Like, I think they were rooting for a guy that clearly should not be doing this and yet was doing this. And 
And so there was this whole sense of like a human, it was a huge human experiment and it was going really well. And they, you know, kids were running up and putting dollars in my, in my guitar case. I mean, it was, it was super cute, but it was really the feeling that I had afterwards. That was the revelation. And it wasn't that we talked before about outcome, right? It wasn't that I sounded great or it wasn't that somebody said, hey, you've got to play in my band or come back next Sunday. You know what? It was none of those things. Nobody did that. (laughs) Nobody invited me to do this again. In fact, they probably didn't want me to do it again. But it it was how I felt afterwards. I I felt I almost like levitated back to my car. I, I felt untouchable. I felt powerful. I felt grateful. I felt open and vulnerable and 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 free and it was a, I came back and I wrote a Facebook post about that experience. Um, and I, I was expecting some people to say, oh, that's cool. Let, you know, I'll do that. I'm so glad you did it. Maybe I'll do something. And the post went viral and it was shared around the world. And, and, and people said to me that next week, you know, I did something and it wasn't about singing in front of a restaurant. It was all kinds of other things. And somebody in Iran did it and somebody in, in, in Kazakhstan or in Poland or, and, and that really gave me the confidence to really grow, scare your soul. Because once I knew that all it took was me saying, here's a permission slip. I'm just giving you a permission slip. That's it. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not helping you, but I'm saying, do this with me. And, you know, for those of us who are involved in, you know, social movements, sometimes that's all you need is someone to say, I'm doing this thing and I'm seeing huge benefits. Would you want to join me? And then you get some momentum. And then now all of a sudden there's a book and, 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 and all of this wonderful uh, uh, momentum around this work. And um, and it's all free. It's all um, encouraging people to be better. And I really do believe that, and this is this came out in my positive psychology studies, that when we get happier in our lives, when, when we have a, have a positive surge in our lives, it doesn't just affect us. It affects our families. And then those families affect coworkers. And those coworkers affect communities. And those communities affect governments. And so this, there's a real world-changing view of this. That it's, yes, this is about the individual. And that's super powerful. But when we get better and happier and more courageous, it affects uh, everyone around us. And it can really change the world. Scott Simon, you are an inspiration. And this has been so much fun to have you as a guest. We hope you'll come back. But thank you for being a guest today on Behavioral Grooves. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our discussion with Scott, have a free-flowing conversation, and talk about whatever else comes into our soul-scared brains. Yeah. Soul-scared brains. Is that is that it's scared soul brain? No, skull. Scare our nope, soul, scared, nope. soul scared brains, right? That would have been right. Soul scared, scared soul, scared soul. Yeah, yeah. It's basically it's about time we just woke up and gave ourselves the opportunity to just push ourselves just a tiny little bit every day, just a tiny little bit. I know, not but a, this not it, a big thing. So you, you and I both know a gentleman, Paul Schoening, right? And he used this yeah. mantra for years, and. I always kind of thought, ah, I don't know about this, right? That's a little weird. But then I started to see what it was doing for him. And I'm going, oh, I get it. It's not about actually being <laughs> physically scared, right? But it's about doing something that pushes you beyond what you're comfortable with. And yeah. that, I saw the change that it did for Paul. 
And I just, I, I feel like this is what Scott is talking about, that when you do this consistently, that it can change your life. Well, and can I, can I, can we just go there for just a minute? Because you and Paul did this with hundreds, maybe thousands of people o- o- over many, many years. You you did a whole bunch of things that kind of put people in scary situations, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, you, we, you, we, we did you know, trust falls and stuff like that. Okay, right? Yeah. So we did team building events that might have been had a little bit of a scary component on it. You know, getting people up on high ropes courses, up on telephone poles and crossing over <laughs> wires. And but they're harnessed <laughs> in. They're perfectly safe. I mean, they're, they're you're more likely to hurt yourself getting in your bathtub than you are being on one of those ropes courses. But but okay. yeah, I mean, it is it's it's it is super interesting when you think about it from that perspective and probably lots of really good insights into this as well. I mean, the trust fall, which is one of my favorite events that we did. Basically, you get people to get up on a, an eight foot um, scaffolding that you have there and then they fall backwards into the outstretched arms, upraised arms of their team. And you don't really realize Like when you're looking at it from the ground, you're going, ah, that's not too high. But man, once you get up there, it feels like you're on top of Mount Everest. And 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 you're like, those people are like ants down there and you expect me to fall backwards into them and they're going to catch me. And for many people, you know, I'm large. I'm a big guy. There's no way they can't even hold me up. And what's what's really interesting, though, is that for most of the people that go up there, they go up there and they do it relatively easily. They they obviously there's a little trepidation in there. But for others, it's just it's their their legs are shaking. They are, you know, yeah. they start to hyperventilate. There's this whole like almost tears and tears in some people. And, you know, and, and all that we ask them to do, and this is really interesting, is that we say just just push until, you know, you you feel like you can't and then just do a little bit more. Just try to go that extra little effort, even to for some people, even climbing up the ladder to get up on the scaffolding. That was scary. So we would just ask them, well, just take a step up or if they got mm-hmm. up two steps, just take that next step. And what was really interesting is sometimes by taking just that next step, they would take the fourth step and the fifth step and then they'd be up on top. And oh, my God, that would be amazing. And so yeah. that was really cool when we think about that. And the, the, the other interesting, sorry, I'm, I'm monopolizing our, our talk here. But the, the other really interesting piece on this is that we always offered saying, hey, I don't want to do this. And um, I choose, you know, part of the, the whole event was before you get on the ladder, you say, I, Kurt, choose to do this, right? And you can get to the ladder and say, I, Kurt, choose not to do this. And what was really interesting is you had some people do that and you could tell that was super scary for them because to say that they were not going to do it. Yeah, because everybody else is doing it. So you get the yeah, social pressure, yeah. you get this peer pressure to just do it. And I think some people actually probably did it because they were super scared to do it, but they were more scared of bucking the group um, and yeah. what that would mean. Oh, they're going to think that I'm I'm scared or they're we- that I'm weak or whatever it is. And so I I know some of those people that got up there and did this, did it because not because they weren't super scared out of their mind, you know, doing a trust fall back into the hands of their team, but they were more scared of choosing not to do that. Yeah. 
Well, I I I love that the uh, the part about uh, just just walk up to the ladder for someone who is saying I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Just just walk up to the ladder and just hold the ladder. Just do one step on the ladder and then and then stop. Just hold there. And then if you can go farther, take another step. And I've I, I've and I've seen this. Um, you know, I've seen you do this with people. Well, you've done and it. I, you've you've helped I've, me on these. Yeah, I've, I have, and I I just love seeing how. There is that that psychological aspect of this incrementalism that that if when you think about these things as tiny steps, it's not such a big deal. When we think about it as as oh my gosh, I have to climb this really high thing and I have to do all this and I have to stand up there and I'm going to get scared and then I have to fall back and when I think about it in its entirety, it can be overwhelming. But if I just think about it as okay, the next thing I need to do is just take one step. Okay, I think I can do that. So. I think that you've built this this stuff psychologically really soundly, and no one's ever gotten hurt in the thousands of people that you've you've had through it. You know? oh, I've had one, but you know yeah. that's the, you know, <laughs> wow. I, we don't we don't talk about him anymore. So. And that was me. So <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think this aligns back with what Scott was saying with the idea of all right, overcoming a fear of heights, you can go and jump yeah. out of an airplane, right? That's a one-time thing. The huge yeah. thing, right? I mean, ah, that'd be scary for 99% of the, the population. But the real way to overcome that fear is to climb that ladder every day, is to go up and clean the, the, the leaves out of the gutter, <laughs> to go right. and change that light bulb, to go and do whatever that is, but to do it consistently in small increments. And that piece is the piece that I think I took out of this that was really interesting, which is why the, you know, it's this idea of scare, do something that scares you every day mm -hmm. is so important because it's not just a, you're not going to change who you are through a one-time activity. You might, right? There's, there's life-changing events, but the vast yeah. majority of us aren't going to have that, you know, uh, epiphany and we're not going to be a totally different person after doing something. But if we continually do something, then our mindset goes, well, how, I can't be afraid of heights because I climb up these ladders all the freaking time because I'm cleaning the gutters. I'm changing the light bulb. I'm doing, you know, I'm painting the, you know, the second story, whatever it would be. So this also reminds me of something that Scott was talking about, uh, the crystal ball mindset, mm. this idea that we think we know how it's going to be. We know we're going to be scared. We know it's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. And then we get up and then we do this incremental, these incremental uh, adjustments, and it's not as bad as we think. And I feel like this would be a great exercise to maybe try to help us get over the damn attribution and endowment biases that we have, you know, like just we we think that we know everything that's going to happen. We know, and because I know me, yeah. you can't you can't tell me that I don't know me. I know me. I know I'm. that's just not going to work for me. But guess what? When we when we just do these little incremental changes, things can go pretty well. And and I think that there's something really rich and rewarding on a psychological basis to sort of bring us to a new mindset, to bring us to a new place. Well, it's 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 Dan Gilbert who talks about we are not good predictors of our future happiness, right? <laughs> that's right that's this idea right. that we, right. um, you know, know what's best for us, and sometimes we don't, and we we need yeah. to explore, we need to try new things, we need to continually challenge ourselves, challenge our beliefs that we hold, and move on to say, 
yeah, I was right. Okay, that's pretty good. I mean, look, let's do you. Let's use Annie Duke here. Let's do like, all right, I'm an eighty yes. percent yes. sure that I'm going to be pretty scared going right. up that ladder, right? Right. All right. right. Then you go up there and you go, oh, all right, maybe. Yeah, I, I was in the twenty percent. It wasn't so scary. So then you readjust that that percentage next time and you readjust it. But we need to continually do that. Otherwise, we just live in these false beliefs of what we believed, you know, from our past. And that may not be the truth anymore. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. What do you say, Tim? I'm scared that we might be ending too early. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> this is the perfect, perfect time to end. You were pausing there a long time. That's a perfect sign right. to end. There we go. <laughs> okay. But we do want to encourage people to go out and buy the book or maybe join up with one of the Scarier Soul groups that are formed all around the country. They're easy to get to. Yeah. We'll have the links in the web, on the show notes. Yeah. And we want to remind people that you should scare yourself by going out and sharing this episode or any episode of behavioral grooves with some friends or family we know that you might be scared to do it but you'll find it'll be great you might even scare yourself by writing a review for <gasps> us on apple or leaving us a five-star review you know rating that, oh, you, now that, that would be a scary thing that is scary that's a scary thing but but go out there push yourself make sure you're out there trying to do something you know you might not have done before you might find that's you right. really enjoy writing reviews. May, who knows? You might be a, a, become a, a constant reviewer of, of podcasts. There you go. <laughs> and, and remember, BrainShift is available for sale right now. You could go yes. out and buy that and help set your up uh, uh, a scarier soul kind of goal. And, and BrainShift will be able to help you achieve that. So there you go. And listeners, we hope that you do scare yourself into having a great week and that this week you go out and find your groove. <laughs>